Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here to open your word, your living word, and I pray that it would meet us right where we're at today. Speak to us, show us how it applies to to our lives on November 22nd, 2020, and to go out of here and live it in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. We've heard the word recount quite a bit the past few weeks, have we not? This morning I want to talk to you about recounting, but it's a recounting of a different kind than you've probably been exposed to in the news. Psalm 75.1 says, We give thanks to you, O God. We give thanks for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. On this week of Thanksgiving, I thought what an important thing that we do as believers to recount the wonderful things He has done, is doing, and will do with a thankful and grateful heart. This morning as we find ourselves in the book of Mark, chapter 1, I'm thankful for the good news of Jesus Christ. You'll remember a couple weeks ago, that's where Mark began in chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Last week, one of our elders, Bill Swenson, talked to us about the baptism of Jesus and His overcoming Satan in the temptation. Today, Jesus goes out proclaiming the eternal kingdom of God. And as He does that, I found four things in here that we can be thankful for in relation to the eternal kingdom of God. So if you've been struggling to find something to be thankful for in 2020, by the end of this morning you'll have at least four things. Okay? First one I was thinking about is we can be thankful that even when our world is crumbling down, God's kingdom is advancing towards His desired end. I get that in verse 14 of Mark chapter 1. It says, now after John the Baptist, that's the John he's talking about, and after John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now those two phrases right at the beginning, They're small phrases, you could almost read right over them. That's what I'm going to zoom in on for a moment. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. I think about John. You remember one of the things he said about Jesus is he must become greater. I must become less. Here we learn that John is imprisoned. We know from the other gospels it's because He confronted one of the ruling Herods who had a wife that was not his own. And he was thrown in prison. And I think about John sitting in prison. And I think about the fact that when John had said earlier, I must become less, he must become greater, John probably had no idea just how much less he would become. He would be imprisoned. And as you know, he was eventually beheaded. When he was in prison, this caused John to question. John's a human, not unlike us. When we go through hard times, when our kingdom starts to crumble, we start to question 
at times. Matthew chapter 11, verse 2, when he's in prison, says, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, John sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or shall we look for another? That might surprise you to hear John, John the Baptist asking that question. Are you really the one? But what many believe, and I believe as well, is that John was sitting there in prison trying to put, do the math and saying, I, I came as the, the, to prepare the way. I was faithful. I wasn't perfect, but I was faithful. And I'm in prison. Could this really be the, the mighty king, the Messiah that, that we were expecting? And Jesus sent word back of the miracles he was doing as, as affirmation. John's human. Bottom line is, John didn't know, and we didn't know why he was going through such a hard time. He was wrestling. We've all been there. But God's kingdom was still advancing. Jesus was going out proclaiming it. Right as I was pondering this idea, Aaron called on Friday. I told him, boy, God's got a special sense of timing about things falling apart because we didn't know about the parking lot option at that time. At first, when he started talking, all I heard was, I can't be in service on Sunday because I've been exposed to COVID. I'm in 14-day quarantine. <laughs> like our first week of two services. I told Aaron, this timing is hilarious because I had just read about, look, even when things fall apart around us, God's in control. And then he started thinking about possibilities. But really, in the grand scheme of things, that's a relatively small trial compared to some of what you are going through. Right? There's some kingdoms falling down, and it's hard. I thought about another thing when we go through trials. Our middle son, Evan, has recently gotten into steel forging. We, we bought a, a steel rod at Home Depot, and, and that thing, even though it's this thick, I can't bend it as it is, but we took it in the backyard, got the fire going, left it in there for 10 minutes, took it to the other side of the yard with the hammer, and bent it into a hook just like he wanted wanted. It took the heat to make it bendable. And if you're like me, sometimes it's those moments of trial when our kingdoms are falling down that, that we cry out a little more and say, God, what are, what are you teaching me right now? What are you teaching me? And I, I want to encourage us to follow John the Baptist model. He didn't run away from Jesus. Did you see what he did? He sent a message to Jesus. And I'm going to paraphrase and say, what's going on here? And Jesus got back to him, right? He took his question to Jesus. So when you find yourself in that place, when your kingdom's crumbling down around you, take it to Jesus. Ask Him for assurance. This is important. When you're in the fire, when you're in the trial, can you say in faith to God, my, my kingdom is at a standstill right now. It even seems to be falling apart all around me, but I, I trust that you are still working. I trust that you're still on your throne and your kingdom is still advancing. I trust that. Many of, of you know the, the paradox of going through a trial and trusting God and finding that sweet relationship with Him in the middle of it. One of my bands growing up that I listened to, a Christian rock band, Audio Adrenaline, had a song called The Good Life. Some of the lyrics went like this. This is the good life. I've lost everything I could ever want and ever dream of. 
This is the good life. I found everything I could need here in your arms. That's the first thing we can be thankful for. Even when our kingdoms are crumbling down around us, God's kingdom is still advancing. Second thing, that we can be thankful that the King, Jesus, makes it clear how to become His willing subjects. He did not leave us to grope in the darkness and try to find our way to God. He came down here and told us, here's how you become a willing subject of the King. Verse 14, Again, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel, the good news of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. That's how you become a willing subject of the king. You repent and believe in the gospel. I say willing subject because of what Paul writes in Philippians 2 that one day every knee will bow at the name of Jesus, both those who are willing and unwilling. Willing subjects will experience the eternal, awe-inspiring grace of the King. Unwilling subjects will experience His eternal punishment. That's why I say how to become a willing subject, because that is what we need to be. Psalm 2.12 says it this way, Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. You want to be a willing subject, but repent. Repent. It means to change our mind about sin and about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a change of mind that leads to a change of life. But when somebody comes to you and tells you, you need to change your life, what's the first human response inside of you? (laughs) Yeah, who are you to tell me I need to change? So people might ask that about Jesus. Who is Jesus to tell me I need to change? Well, that's where Bill took us last week. At his baptism, we saw he's the beloved son in whom the Father is well pleased, and he's also the rightful king who overcame Satan, the God of this world, in temptation. He is the king, and now he is issuing commands that the king has a right to issue. Okay, but still, the idea of repentance, admitting that I'm wrong and need to turn, is not one of our favorites. We tend to downplay our sin because we like it. We tend sometimes to think like much of the world thinks about sin, that it's really not that big a deal. David Head rewrote a confession prayer to reflect the mindset of the world about sin. See if this doesn't resonate. Benevolent and easygoing father. We have occasionally been guilty of errors of judgment. We have lived under the deprivations of heredity and the disadvantages of environment. We have sometimes failed to act in accordance with common sense. We have done the best we could in the circumstances and have been careful not to ignore the common standards of decency. And we are glad to think that we are fairly normal. Do thou, O Lord, deal lightly with our infrequent lapses. Be thy own sweet self with those who admit they are not perfect. Perfect. 
according to the unlimited tolerance which we have a right to expect from thee. And grant as an indulgent parent that we may hereafter continue to live a harmless and happy life and keep our self-respect. Amen. (laughs) Does that not reflect the light-hearted view much of our world has about sin? What a contrast to Luke 18 where Jesus tells a parable about a Pharisee and a tax collector praying to heaven. And in Luke 18, 13, he says, the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. Or David in Psalm 51, after his affair with Bathsheba, Listen to how he viewed his sin. Verse 1, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Let's not underestimate sin and the importance of repentance. I think sometimes we maybe also underestimate the amazing freedom that comes when we believe in Jesus. He said, repent and believe. John 8.34, Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Don't underestimate the freedom that Jesus came to bring. You repent and believe in Him. Paul talks about it in Romans 4 verse 5, to the one who does not work, because salvation is not by works, to the one who does not work but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And listen to this blessedness David wrote of. Do you know this blessedness? He said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you know that blessedness? Have you become a willing subject of the king by repenting and believing in him? Third thing, we can be thankful that his eternal kingdom confronts us in our everyday occupation. Verse 15, he had said, the kingdom of God is at hand. A lot of us hear the kingdom of God and we automatically almost only think some other time and some other place. We think the future, we think new heavens, new earth, and that's not totally wrong. That's the culmination of God's kingdom. That's where it culminates, but that is not all there is to it. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. It is near. It is not just some other time and some other place. The king has come. Jesus has come. Verse 16. You see this encounter. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, 
the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. I want to talk to you about geography a little bit, because we'll run into it a lot in the book of Mark. You hear a lot about Galilee, sometimes you hear about Samaria, sometimes you hear about Judea. Galilee's up north. If it's Arizona, that's the Flagstaff and the Indian Reservation, it's more rural. We might be Samaria, kind of in the middle. A lot of Jews would walk around us. And down south around Phoenix and Tucson, that might be Jerusalem, okay? That's Judea. Jesus is up north at the Sea of Galilee. And you hear sea, you think like Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean. This little body of water was only 12 miles by 6 miles. This is a small little body, but as small as it was, the historian Josephus at that time told us there were up to 330 fishing boats that operated on this little Sea of Galilee. It was hot business there, so much so that some of the towns where Jesus worked around the Sea of Galilee were named after fish, like Bethsaida. You know what that means? House of fish. Just like Bethlehem means house of bread. This was fishing territory, and the guys are out fishing, and here comes Jesus. Now, I may be strange, but I, I see this encounter on the beach, and my mind goes to one of our Christmas movie staples. We watch the first two Home Alones every year at Christmas time. The second one, when Marv and Harry just got out of prison and they're about to rampage New York, they're both in the back of a fish truck, and one of them says, You smell that? It's freedom. The other one says, It's fish. First one says, It's freedom. The second one says, It's freedom and fish. And then they go on their adventures. I, I see this story here, and I see this strange juxtaposition of God's kingdom in the person of Jesus Christ and the smell of fish and sweaty fishermen. It's all right there. It has come together. It has become personal for these guys. There they stand with sand in their sandals, doing their job, and here comes the king. Now think about that. Like, Do we believe that today, that the eternal kingdom of God encounters us in the everyday occupations we find ourselves busy with? Do we believe that the kingdom of God can encounter the mother on the floor in her living room with her toddler cleaning up toys for the tenth time that day? Do we believe that the, the kingdom of God encounters you at your workplace, whether it's the library, the, the school, your office, he encounters us in the everyday. That He encounters you washing your car in your driveway, in your apartment complex. The eternal kingdom of God in Jesus Christ meets you right there. More to the point, if we believed that, how would it change our lives? How would you approach every day differently if you really believe that? Now I want to suggest one practical way to make that real. Sometimes we, we have our, our Bible reading and prayer time in the morning or the evening, but that's totally separate from the rest of our day. That's boxed off, that's God time, and the rest of the day is me time. And we don't remember what we read, we don't talk to God about what we read, we forget what we prayed, and it's almost like they're two totally separate things. I don't think that's the way God wants it to be. One way you can realize that His eternal kingdom is meeting you where you're at is after you read His Word and pray, 
Just approach the day with a heart that says, now God, by your spirit who lives within me, please show me how that looks in this meeting, at this assignment I have. When I'm here, lead me in what you've showed me and you'll be surprised. He's a faithful leader if we'll only listen and realize he wants it to, to impact our lives. The last thing, we be thankful that even the king's commands are good news when they're understood properly. I said when they're understood properly because a lot of us look at commands in the Bible and right away we think legalism, we think guilt trip, we think all these negative connotations about the commands of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, we can be thankful that even His commands are good news when we understand them properly. Read with me, verse 17. Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now we know from other gospels in the Bible that this was not the first encounter these men had with Jesus. In the book of John chapter 1, we learn that some of these guys were disciples of John the Baptist and he had already tipped them off. That that's the Lamb of God and they started asking him questions and following him temporarily. And then they came back to their work here. We know that with Peter, Jesus had, had been out there and Peter had been fishing all day and all night and Jesus had cast it on the other side and Peter did and they caught so many fish that Peter was totally overwhelmed Verse 8 of Luke 5, he says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So we know there's more to the story than what we read in Mark, but that does not take away from the fact that these four men on this day, they made a decision. They made a decision of faith to leave behind everything familiar to them probably for generations in their family, and to follow Jesus wherever He would lead them. And I think about for those guys on the beach, they don't know everything we know about their lives after that. They didn't know at this point all the miracles they were going to see, all the teachings they were going to hear from Jesus. They didn't know about the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, and all their own world travels around the globe. They didn't know that God was going to use many of them to write Scripture that we would be reading today. They didn't know the persecution and martyrdom that would come. They didn't know all that, but it all started with a step on that beach. One step of faith that said, yes, I will follow you. I will follow you. And I read that and I say, man... What if all of us, whether we know Jesus today or not, what if we would all take that next step with Jesus? What's your next step that God has been tugging at you about? If you're not a believer, your, your step is to come to Him in repentance and faith. If you are a believer, the steps don't stop. What's He calling you today? And will you like these four men say, Yes, Lord, I will follow you even though I don't know where it's leading. I think about this and I think about, ah, 
about a decade ago, my brother and I grew up playing with Transformers, the real metal ones, before they made them plastic. You know, the, the ro vehicles that transform into robots? And when they finally put that in a movie, we were like little kids. Grown men with children of our own, but we went down to the movie theater like little kids at Transformers. And there's a scene in there where Bumblebee, the yellow Transformer, transforms into a car. And Sam Widwicky, the, the main human character, is with his girlfriend. And Bumblebee opens the door and he wants them to get in. And they're looking at each other like, where's he going to take us? What's this going to lead to? And Sam looks at his girlfriend and he says, 50 years from now, when you're looking back at your life, don't you want to be able to say you had the guts to get in the car? I love that line. They got in, they went on all kinds of adventures. That's just a movie, but think about that with Jesus. When you get to the end of your life, don't you, you don't want to look back and say, I wish I had done what he tugged me to. I knew that step. I knew what he's inviting me into, and I, I didn't take that step of faith. You, you don't want to be... That person. I think about the phrase commonly thrown around. Everybody dies, but not everyone really lives. Really living means taking that, that next step with Jesus. I wonder too, how many people in the neighborhood or family thought they were total blithering idiots. You guys, you stand to inherit this fishing practice from your father who inherited it from his grandfather and he inherited it from his great his father and you're just going to go meander off some itinerant teacher here? What did people say to their parents? Your kids are fools, man. What did you teach those guys? Did anybody talk like that? But I think about a song by Jeff Moore in the distance. Only a fool. One of the verses says, Charlie was a fool. Did you hear what he went and did? He quit his job, threw it away, gave his life to a bunch of kids. He said he was in love with Jesus. But his friends didn't understand. He could have had it all. But he just smiled and said that he already did. He saw the big in the small. He saw the beauty in the call. Even when no one else approved, he took the job only a fool would do. He had that eternal perspective. I think about Jim Elliott who gave his life as a missionary to the hostile Alka Indians. He knew what he was getting into. He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Speaking of the word fools, I think about what the religious elite would think about a rabbi who called fishermen. Right in their eyes, what kind of rabbi is this? And what kind of followers does he have? These are fishermen. Right? What do they have to offer a rabbi? But Jesus saw it differently. I think about when Jesus had the, the guys trying to trap him with the coin. Do we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And he said, show me a coin. Whose image is on that? Caesar's. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. What is God's? Our lives are God's. He gave us our lives and He wants us to surrender them back to Him. Whoever you are, wherever you're at, God, God uses the foolish to shame the wise in this world. And, and the Pharisees may not have understood that, but I think about what these fishermen had to offer God 
And I think about it like this. Our, our three-year-old Luke and all of our sons have done this along the way. Jaden, Evan, Luke. You give them things, right? You buy them as a parent and you give them to them and over time they get worn down like Luke's got a blanket. He didn't buy it. He, he didn't go out shopping for it. He didn't buy it. We just gave it to him. But a couple of weeks ago, I'm sitting on the couch and he came up and he said, Daddy, I want you to have my blanket. I'm telling you, you could give me $200 today and it would not mean as much as that moment where my son gave, us, gave me the blanket that we gave him because I knew how much it meant to him. Now think about that with our lives. You may feel like you don't have much to offer God. Sometimes the enemy comes along and says, not you. But you know what? I believe God feels a similar way. When we offer back to Him what He's given to us, that same fatherly smile, wow, that means so much. They gave Him all. Now what did fishers of men mean to these guys? Like when they said, heard about being fishers of men. For them, fishing was a daily thing. Okay? It was not a one week a year thing in another country. I'm going to go for one week a year to Mexico and I'm going to go fish for men. Fishing was daily for these guys, right? Also, it was not optional. It was essential. For these men, fishing was life. When you think about that, you start to get an idea of what Jesus was calling them to and what He's calling us to. It is daily and it is essential. In a humorous vein, I thought, what if, what if we viewed being fishers of men with the same urgency that we look for toilet paper at Costco in 2020? <laughs> I've been there. I was there this week. I got there an hour early. Right? You show up early. You pray it's there. <laughs> and then what? You go in the back of the store looking for where it, it would be. Right? What if we had that same mindset with being fishers of men. What if we all prayed for four or five people we know don't know the Lord yet? I'm going to pray for them to come to you, Lord. I'm going to show up where they're at and look for those open doors, those moments where they're reaching for hope and something to hold on to. And I want you to use me, Lord. Now, some of you are thinking, you said the king's commands are good news when understood properly. What do you mean by that? Well, I want you to listen to Jesus' words really closely. He said, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Now, you can read that one of two ways, right? Some of you might read that and get a, a guilt trip. I'm going to make you become fishers of men or else. Or you can read it as the words of a loving creator. A loving, almighty creator. I will make you become fishers of men. This is the creator talking to these fishermen, right? Remember John 1? Verse 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. God said, let there be light, and there was light. At the beginning of the new creation, Jesus said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. You can go even further in Genesis. What did, what did he tell Adam and Eve in the garden? He said, be fruitful and multiply, right? 
the beginning of the new creation, Jesus looks at his guys and says, go and make disciples. Multiply the new creation. You even got a hint of it at the baptism. The same spirit that hovered down on Jesus at the outset of the new creation he came to bring hovered on the waters in Genesis 1-2 at the outset of the original creation. He is setting out to make a new creation and that includes his followers. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry we have of reconciliation flows out of the fact that we are new creations. That changes the whole, whole mindset, does it not? It made me think about a conversation I had with an old friend of mine, Ed. He's a good old southern boy. Likes to go fishing. He's got a little bit of that southern accent and like I do, people ask me if I'm from Kentucky. It's from my grandparents. I'm from Ohio. But we, we like to talk, and he shares stories about when he was young. He said, yeah, I like, like to go fishing. And he started telling me how he gets worms when he goes fishing. I never heard of this before. He said, I get a metal rod, and I hook up some wires to that metal rod, and I run those wires back to an outlet, and that thing starts buzzing. And I set it down on the grass, and... When that thing starts buzzing, the worms just come right up to the top. He said, you can do that in your backyard, a golf course, anywhere you want. <laughs> You'll get worms. <laughs> Made me want to try it. Some of you, some of you are like, I'm going to go try it. <laughs> now, I thought about that process for getting worms. You could take a metal rod, right? Any old metal rod that's not connected to electricity and lay it out on the grass. Guess what? You're going to be waiting all day for any worms to come up, right? Because what makes that work? It's the connection to the power source, right? That's what makes it work. And that's why Jesus says, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Our primary call is to follow Him. And then by faith, let Him do what He wants to do in our lives with other people. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He also says, if you love me, you'll obey me. It all comes back to that relationship with Him. The conclusion. Let me ask you a question. When you hear the phrase, this is the way, what comes to mind? Huh? Maybe? No, so, there's a show, that laugh up here told me what they know. The Mandalorian, it's a streaming series on Disney+. Plus. Okay, and for those of you wondering why I'm bringing that up, I'll, I'll, I'll bring it around, I'll explain it. The common phrase in the show is, this is the way. It's spreading, and you will hear it if you have not. It's spreading so much that I saw a yard sale sign in Prescott Valley on Friday that said, this is the way. And it had an arrow and it had a picture of a Mandalorian helmet on it. It is spreading. So if you don't know what it is, you will now. The Mandalorian, okay, is a main character in the series called the Mandalorian. But you say, what in the world is a Mandalorian? All right, the Mandalorians are, are bounty hunters who live by a very specific code of conduct. The main character 
as you watch the series, you come to discover the way he became a Mandalorian. He was initially a normal kid growing up with his parents, and his city was under siege by evil forces, and the Mandalorians at that time saved him from death. His parents died, but the Mandalorians saved him from death. They adopted him in, so that their path became his. And that path is expressed in the phrase over and over, this is the way. This is the way. He is now a Mandalorian. And it affects everything he does. His very life. Now, think about that in the context of what Christians have experienced, okay? Through Jesus Christ, we've been saved from God's wrath and eternal death. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? We've been saved. We've been adopted into the family of God. Romans 8.15 The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by Him we cry, Abba, Father. And His path becomes our own. Romans 8.29 Those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of of his son. I am now a Christian. And it ought to affect everything I do. Because he still says to us today. Follow me. And I will make you become. Fishers of men. This is the way. More to the point. He is the way. The truth and the life. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this encounter on a beach. Thank you, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. That these personal encounters do not stop on that beach. You are still seeking and saving the lost. You are still calling believers to that next step of following wherever you meet us, wherever we find ourselves today. I thank you for the promises that we can hold on to in this passage that even when our own kingdom is crumbling down and we don't understand it all, your kingdom is still advancing. I thank you that you have made it clear how we can become willing subjects and enjoy your kingdom for eternity. May we never take that for granted. And if anyone has not repented and believed, draw them to the cross. I thank you for showing us that the eternal kingdom is not just some other time and some other place. We look forward to that culmination. But it encounters us where we're at today. Help us to be aware. Lead us, Holy Spirit, and how that should transform our lives. And I thank you that even your commands, Jesus, are good news when understood properly, that, that it all flows back to that relationship with You. You call us to follow You. To abide in You. You are the vine. We are the branches. To love You in response to Your great love. And out of that love and in the power of the Spirit will flow our obedience. Thank You that You took the, the primary onus upon Yourself to make us become fishers of men. Our role is to follow in faith and surrender and cooperate and watch you work.
cooperate with you in that work. Lord, please do it. I pray even as we gather our offering today that it would be of a heart of faith. Even stewardship is an act of following. It's not about any externally imposed requirement about, Lord, what are you leading me? It's about trusting you. It's you giving me all I have. It is yours, and I'm a steward. It's about gratitude. So I pray that we give, not out of obligation, but out of cheerful hearts, to say thank you, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.